And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why you don't install beta software on your main computer. macOS Mojave looks very nice, but it runs like ass, and Chrome is an absolute piece of shit on a Mac. Mojave? Yes. Now, I know you've been to Nevada. Yes. Well, that's uh, from work with people that have been there, and uh, yeah, still refer to it as Mojave. Mm. On the radio. They made Minecraft, didn't they? (laughs) Now I'm on the other computer. I need to get all my windows in the right place. You two can go there. Ah, jeez. Ow. That sounded fun. Wow, that was maximum volume. Strangely enough, Dan did exactly the same thing earlier. I think I could hear you all fine. And yes, I heard the very loud stuff coming through Dan's microphone. It, it doubled up. I double clicked it out of the uh, the cloud, and so it started it in VLC, and then started to play it in the thumbnail as well, and decided to just double up on the volumes. So even when I killed the south on uh, on one, all I was still getting on the other. It was like, oh, what really? I will need one more second. Right there we go. Sorted. Should we hit play? May as well, <laughs> since it's why, almost half past. Why not? Three, two, one, play. All right. Welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 11 of Remedial Nerding. This week it's Season 5, Episode 25 of The Next Generation, which is... The best episode of Star Trek ever made, in my opinion. The Inner Light. I I forgot just how good this episode was. I still do not believe it's the best ever made, but it is very good. (laughs) We'll get to that, I'm sure. So the whole structure of this episode is a cut back and forth between the Enterprise and an alternate reality. (laughs) So before we've even got to the opening credits... They're like are going through space and stumble on a like sycamore seed with a fire firework stuck to the back of it <laughs> type thing. Um which shines a torch in Picard's eyes and causes him to black out. And then cut to Santa Fe by the look of things. <laughs> Picard is very convinced that he's uh, been kidnapped. Which I'm not surprised, it's a bit of a change of um situation. See, either that he's been kidnapped or he's fallen asleep on the holodeck, which seems to be his first assumption. <laughs> I did like, yeah, so he wakes up in this alternate timeline where some lady is saying, oh, thank goodness you've recovered from your hallucinati- hallucinatory fever. And his first reactions are, yeah, one, computer and program, which I feel like I would say a lot if I was in that universe. <laughs> and two, Picard to Enterprise, which gets no response. He then also tries to tap his com badge, which isn't on his jumper. In fact, he's not even wearing his jumper. He's wearing someone else's. 
as as great as this episode is, I did have a couple of picky points that I'll get to at the end. But overall, I I really forgot how good this episode was. Of course you did. You wouldn't be you if you didn't have a couple of picky points. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> I don't know if there's any Star Trek episode that is 100% watertight logically, not least because of genre conventions that they established early on and you can't really ignore anymore. <laughs> like, events do not precede courses because faster than night travel is possible. <laughs> I did love that at the, for the, the, the cold open bit, there is straight back to the age of formula of, so we're sent on this survey mission to examine the this Watsonmafingal and we came across something weird. <laughs> we don't know what it is. It's fact they used the, the line, we could not immediately identify it. It's like, this is strange shit, man. I mean, this is something I like about Star Trek, and I think it's more true of TNG than any other of the franchise's incarnations, is that it's all about intelligent, well-meaning people who get on and go and look at weird things. I mean, that's not the case 100% of the time, but that is typically the the milieu in which Star Trek operates. Yeah. And I think you're right, that's where the next generation is a bit different to the others, because they are just going, wandering around poking stuff, whereas Deep Space Nine, stuff comes and pokes them. <laughs> the Voyage Home, well, oh God, the Voyage Home? Voyage Voyager. Home. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is a Voyage Home. Ah, oh, I didn't really, yeah, the nominative determinism in the ship. Yeah, so the first couple of Flash sequences where we are, where we're with Cayman is what they keep calling him. Picard in his, um, I was going to say medieval life, but it's not medieval because they've got rockets. What's the technology level in Cayman's world? Well, we know they eventually managed to launch that interstellar probe, but they just kind of shoot it blindly into space and hope for the best. It looks vaguely Roman era, with them with maybe some Renaissance stuff thrown in, but that's because they've got a a man from you know three thousand years in the future technologically. But then they also have the telephone. And and push button open doors. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they have a telephone, but you have to go to the post office to use it. So maybe he starts out in kind of 1920s or something and ends up in this 50s or something. <laughs> yeah, the, the technology of this place is all over the place. Well, I mean, not to go back to it, but why would there be a completely alien race who all look like Californians? <laughs> <laughs> As if they were on a soundstage in... Los Angeles. That problem crops up lots and lots of times, though. Didn't they address that in an episode? Yes, they did. That all all life in the universe was essentially seeded. And the the leader of the changelings from the Dominion was some prehistoric alien that, yes, seeded the galaxy. I mean, it wasn't the leader of the changelings, but it was the same actress. Because, you know, they all look alike. I had that noted down in relation to biology, because, spoiler alert, while he's in 1920s Santa Fe... Picard lives an entire whole other life and has children, <laughs> but does so quite late in because he's presumably no young, no younger than forty at the start of this. And I think they say he's there for forty years. But I kind of wonder how much is actually him, as in how much is JLP, and how much is Cayman. Well, yeah, there's a lot of questions about this because, as we'll discover later, what's going on with this alternate reality is that it is this planet's self-written eulogy, which they managed to put in a psychic holodeck program and stick on a V2 rocket and shoot into the sky. But still worked a thousand years later. Yeah, that that, that is one of the huge sticky points for me for this episode. Well, we can record subjective experience with an infinitely branching yeah. realm of possibilities. But yeah. we also haven't mastered, like, warp drive. 
atmospheric condensing. It also made it a light year in a thousand years. That's going pretty fast. <laughs> we struggle to do something like that with, with our technology. Yeah. I think we probably could, but we wouldn't really have anything to to use that technology for at the moment. We'd just send a Tesla out as far as we could go. <laughs> That's like the, uh, what Douglas Adams story is it, where there's, is it Douglas Adams? I don't know, you're going to correct me. There's some deep space mission whose objective over 300 years and um, trillions of dollars spent is to instigate enough supernovas such that the stars will spell out a Coca-Cola slogan. <laughs> I think that is Douglas Adams. <laughs> There is no ethical space travel under capitalism. The problem with really fast, slower than light transport is at some point you'll realise that all it takes is one person to develop faster than light travel just before you get to your destination and you'll be overtaken and then you'll wake up and you'll be you know, a thousand years in the past or rather in the thousand years in the future as everyone's overtaking you and already colonised where you're heading for. Hmm. But that's almost exactly the opposite of the situation that's going on here. I'll tell you something I like, which is that Kind of ten minutes into the episode, um, Picard in in Cayman's life. We've been in Cayman's life pretty much entirely from the credits at this point. Hmm. Is still basically saying computer and program and trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, he does not want to accept it at all, which is understandable. Yeah, the experience he's having at this moment is that everyone he's ever known is gone, and he's in a place with a bunch of strangers and doesn't know how to leave. It's a little bit reminiscent of what happens to O'Brien in Deep Space Nine, where you live the whole other life and then wake up and realise that that was just. An implanted memory, but I suppose the difference here is it's forty years of uh, you know having a family as opposed to a thousand years of penal servitude. Oh yeah, I was going to ask, was that the one where he got sent to mind prison? Yeah, I did like that in this episode they never make any indication, which makes sense with how they what we eventually find out is going on. There's never any ambiguity from our point of view whether he actually is Cayman who was dreaming his Picard rather than the other way around. Yeah, I was thinking that last night when I was watching it. Is that what he eventually assumed that he was? Cayman dreaming he was Picard, and then when he woke up back on the bridge, he then thought, I realised that he actually was Picard dreaming he was Cayman, dreaming he was Picard, dreaming he was Cayman. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there is a little bit of that, because he forgets the stories that he was telling of his dreams of the Enterprise. And then when he's back on at the end... And he's talking to Riker and he's talking about having to remember that he is John Luke Picard and this is his home. Well, that's because he's got 40 years worth of memories of Cayman in five minutes having a snooze on the bridge. But Cayman's wife is very understanding. To an extent, this does avoid the problem I had with uh, Back to the Future, which is that from the point of view of the rest of the McFly family, Back to the Future is the story of how Marty had a stroke one day. <laughs> Because <laughs> at the end of the film, they've all got a completely different family history, and Marty's just acting confused and doesn't seem to remember them. Do you remember that time we went skiing in Europe? No, I don't. I remember going on a road trip to the next state over and it not going very well. Because I come from the crappy timeline. <laughs> Yet, miraculously, he has the same girlfriend and the same plan to go up to the cabin with her. Was there a good timeline Marty McFly who got dissolved and we just never saw about it? <laughs> to avoid the end of the film being a kind of body horror thing. <laughs> Where you get erased by your counterpart from the Borg takes over the Federation timeline. <laughs> oh god, what was the film that we watched? Oblivion. We watched lots of films. It wasn't Oblivion that I was thinking of. It was from that season of the show with Hugh Jackman and uh, Christian the Bale. Prestige. Christian Bale. The Prestige. That's it. Yes. Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, and Christian Bale. And Hugh Jackman. 
And Hugh Jackman. So I did think, we've not quite got there, Beverly's got to the bridge and is scanning yep. Picard's brain, but the whole bit where he goes into some sort of like convulsive fit, that was some good Trekno babble going on there. It's like, none of this makes any sense. Yep. But they've got all the portable equipment there. Now it looks... I don't see why they didn't just move him to the bridge, uh, to the sick bay. Because, you know, it's only a couple of decks down. They're not going that far. It would have been fine. Oh, and I like the way Will's like, yeah, back away. Nice and slow. 100 kph. I don't know. (laughs) Fly casual. (laughs) Said, of course, warp factor seven. Let's see what this does. I mean, yeah, the the problem they have with, like, 15 minutes into the episode, flashback to the Enterprise bridge where Picard is comatose on the deck and Riker is in command. And they're going like, well, what if we pull out the USB cable before it's properly ejected? <laughs> and then loads of error messages come off on Picard's eyes and they stick it back in again quickly. One thing I, I do love about the, the, the flashbacks to, to Kanan's life is that you tell time by hair. Yeah. <laughs> the passage of time is marked by hair. Her yes. hair gets longer, his hair gets a bit longer, and he doesn't seem to want to brush it at all. She gets grey... His hair gets a bit more wild and grandpa-like. Watching it close up on a HD version, I think is not kind to the wig makers. <laughs> Did they do some prosthetic work? I think it's part of the uh, the impact of this episode is the extent to which Picard does struggle with his identity as Cayman. Because I don't know if it's that he decides that he actually was Cayman all along, or if he just kind of has to accept it to survive. De- decides, yeah, decides to embrace it. From the way she's acting, the fact that he remembers being someone else and trying to escape there puts a strain on their marriage, but it doesn't seem like his personality has changed radically. I mean, as we know, this is all a artificial recording, so maybe it's programmed that way. Made me wonder how much volition he actually has in that reality. Hmm. There, there was that, but yeah, is, did Kanan actually build a telescope and track all the data and talk to the uh, the local politician and... Yeah, did or... he even live in that town? Because Picard eventually reconciles with having a family in that reality. Were they within ten years of how old they actually were? Did Cayman actually exist? Or is he a fictional construct? Is his, is his family experience as like a separate sub-story to the, the main overarching playthrough that doesn't really have an effect on the town. How how does it work? Dig into this for me. Oh, it's very difficult to work out if the scenario was written around him, in which case, how did they not manage to solve their problems if they can write that good uh, an algorithm or AI? Mm-hmm. And if not, how did it happen that Cameron was just the same kind of personality as Picard? I mean, what if it was just based on personality type and it picked, you know, Reg Barkley, just found the most compatible person on the Enterprise. I don't think Reg would have made a good teacher, though. No, but I mean, what if the the person <laughs> that came and was happened to be like Reg <laughs> rather than like Jean-Luc Picard? Well, if he'd been like Miles O'Brien and just stood in the corner at a desk all day. <laughs> Drinking coffee. I mean, I guess this is TNG era where Miles O'Brien is still slightly a potted plant, but I take exception <laughs> to that in general. <laughs> Potted plan. Ha! Huh. What are you doing to work tomorrow, Miles? Well, we've got a seven-day trip for uncharted space, but we anticipate to meet no one and need to go nowhere off ship. So I'm going to stand at my desk. 
Good for your posture there, I've heard. I reckon he sits on the edge of the transport pad and practices his whistling. Is that a euphemism? You don't think he was developing the skills that he would use when he got transferred to DS9 by, I don't know, fishing rats out of the conduits? I guess they don't have rats in the conduits on the Enterprise. <laughs> I think what he does is he's got... There must be two transporter rooms next to each other, and I think he just spends his entire time disassembling one of them and putting it back together. <laughs> Constant maintenance. So, back to the inner light. Picard recommends building massive atmospheric condensers in order to solve their water crisis, which gets knocked down by the local politician, who then leaves, and they decide that they're going to build their own one anyway. He wants to turn it into Tatooine. And Mm. it is never spoken of again. I mean, the ongoing development of events on that timeline is that we start out in, gosh, it's hot today, into it's been a drought for a while, into was the sun always that big? To maybe we should maybe we should fire a holographic algorithmic record of our existence into space on the off chance it hits a starship one day. <laughs> to be fair, civilizations have fired more stupid things into space on that same off chance. <laughs> the aforementioned cherry red Tesla Roadster. I was thinking more the naked pictures of ourselves alongside some really odd music, because you know. <laughs> Nothing says come see us like sending unsolicited nude photos. I was going to say, like sending a dick pic. There's an Isaac Asimov story in which um, the Earth eventually reverts to a snowball state with, you know, runaway global cooling. And a later Venusian civilization sends an archaeological expedition, but the only thing they ever cover is a single reel of a Disney film. <laughs> <laughs> From which they attempt to reconstruct what human society was like. Oh, wow. I'll be back in one second. Here we are at the uh, the big apology scene where he has the heart of heart and he accepts being Canaan and decides that he's going to build her a nursery which they will fill unless, in fact, she wants a porch. <laughs> Spoiler alert, she picks a nursery. Right, I'm back and as it's Britain and it's been 30 plus degrees for 8 plus days, the only way I can keep cool is with a beer. <laughs> Standard. Going to move north of the Humber, it hasn't broken 30 here at all been ridiculous. It has been ridiculous. We missed all the thunderstorms the other day, which would at least have been cool to watch. So, from heart to heart, I am Kanan. Back to the Enterprise. And uh, more technobabble, as Geordie's going to find where the probe came from. Now, I have a bit of an issue with this bit. Right. Oh, that's the other Mac rebooting. Uh... Geordie, despite the thought the TV was muted. Oh, no, it's the built-in speaker. Um, Geordie... Works out what system it came from, which obviously has the same name in English as it does in whatever language came as actually speaking. If no one survived, surely it should just be called one two three four Jeff seventy three. That's it. Even better than that. Later they go, yeah, it's from this system over here, an unmapped system, and it came from the planet Canaan, or was it Catan? Isn't it Catan? Yeah. They are, they are the settlers of Catan. I'm fairly sure Katana is also a Star Wars thing, but just with more K's and double A's in it. Oh, that was Carl Katan's surname. And he was the guy from the uh, Jedi Outcasts, Dark Forces, Jedi Academy uh, series of games. <laughs> First result is Memory Alpha. Alright, I'm going to close that. Let's not get distracted. <laughs> so one of the most memorable things from this episode is the uh, the Picard flute solo, as it's known. Which Does he's he currently play it? Reciting. Yeah, he's just reciting it at the moment. 
Yeah, he's been trying to play it throughout because one of the first things that happens when he's trying to figure out where he is, when he's doing Who Lives in a House Like This, and the answer is, it's me. It's <laughs> like, also I play the flute, which his wife responds, no, you don't really. But over the course of 25 years or something, what we've got to, he's now playing it pretty well. Does uh, Patrick Stewart play the flute or is someone playing the flute for him? Yeah, I mean, for all we know, he's just kind of lifting his fingers up and down while a tape deck under the table is playing the song. So I was reading about the flute on Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, he definitely didn't play it because it cannot actually be played. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, again, it's raising all those questions that have just been over. Was Kanan actually digging up soil samples or is Picard's Kanan digging up soil samples? But the other question is, does does it matter? <laughs> Did Kanan have a heart attack at the naming ceremony or was it because they pulled the USB plug out? Put it back in. No, the other way up. Did, no, did the other Kanan's way up again. heart attack last for like seven years whilst Crossy was <laughs> faffing around? Ooh, here's a good one. Note. Bataille, the son of Cayman, is played by the, played in a guest appearance by Daniel Stewart, the real-life son of Patrick Stewart. Fair enough. So that's why he looks Makes like sense. him. <laughs> Strange, that one. With this whole naming ceremony scene that we're at where his USB-related heart attack comes in, or grand mal seizure or something. That raised a lot of questions for me because early seasons Picard is intensely uncomfortable around children and wants no part of it, basically. Then he's got 30 years of resistance to it in this episode, but then he's saying things like, I never wanted children, but now I couldn't imagine life without them. Does that carry over, or does he just like, wow, that was weird? (laughs) I think that does carry over because which which of the movies is it where his nephew passes? He's his brother and his nephew passes and he has all that regret about not having children to carry on the line. Generations. Yes, I thought it was because they're on the ship, aren't they? Doing a Worf's promotion. Yeah, remove the plank. <laughs> I believe you mean retract the plank. And then Data shows Beverly in the drink. Where does this relate to disaster? Because he's forced to interact with children in that one. I think this is after it. I was going to say, one thing, even though TNG doesn't have the um, story continuity that DS9 does, the characters do change and grow as the run goes on through. There is a definite order to the episodes, even if the specific one within a season isn't always that important. So like you said, Dan, by the time we get to Generations, he has mellowed a bit to children. Disaster definitely has an impact, and I think this does as well. And the fact that there were other episodes where he plays the flute, and quite a few that you see it in the background. And apparently there was a deleted scene in Nemesis, where uh, Data picked it up and talked to him about it, about being human. How can it be an unmapped system of six planets? Exactly. if you know there's six planets, it must be mapped. I suppose it depends on what level of detail? Maybe he's just picked it up and he's gone, oh, look, the census can make out that there are six planets in that star system, <laughs> but we haven't got any details on the geological features, so therefore it's unmapped. Mm, maybe. This system is 25% mapped. We've done one and a half planets. I mean, they describe the star as going nova, and I don't think planets normally survive going nova. <laughs> I guess we went to imagine it went Nova a bit and just sterilised them all. I th- I think a Nova's okay in terms of the actual rocky planet surviving, but nothing on it would. 
And Nova it just swells, doesn't it? Rather than explodes. No, Nova is exploding because it's from new, as in new star, as in it's got drastically bright enough that we can now see it in the sky where we couldn't before. I think there's a throwaway line at the very end of the episode where they say, yeah, we brought it into the cargo bay, but it's not functional anymore. Which raises its own questions, because if this hollow hollow novel scenario was their planet's last attempt at posterity, it seems like it would have been good to have a play again at the end. (laughs) I mean, maybe it was meant to and it just broke, but... Yeah, maybe after a thousand years of just drifting, it just went, fuck it. Well, that's the other direction they could have gone within the um, dream reality and chose not to, is have things like missing textures. A bit like, uh, was it... No, it wasn't Sliders, it was um, Farscape, where he went into a virtual Earth and opened a door that he'd never opened for real, and it was just blank space. I was (laughs) half expecting Picard to do that. It's like, no, we can't be able to generate your next-door neighbor's house. It's too computationally expensive. (laughs) I mean, they do do it to some extent in the in the last ten minutes of his forty year existence. Various characters from earlier in the series turn up in the series in the scenario turn up. Oh, you mean the bit where they all turn up and break the fourth wall? Exactly. Yeah. Which I actually really liked. It's I find it a very moving scene. Actually, it was actually yeah, partly because Cayman at that point is extremely old and infirm, so it's somewhat like he's being. Walked into the afterlife. Yeah. So he's now confronting the uh, equally prosthetic up um, government man about the fact that I know this planet's fucked. I mean, he has held office for a long time. Who's like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Okay, we'll take three steps this way. Yeah, we worked out it was fucked two years ago. Why didn't they just tell him that before? I think I'm slightly behind you guys because I'm still on the scene where elderly came in is... Not exactly arguing with his son over whether to be, what, join Starfleet, <laughs> a basically. A mathematician, a botanist, or a musician. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you are about two minutes behind us, I think. And he eventually goes, well, you may as well be a musician, I suppose, because the apocalypse is happening in about two years. <laughs> He's yeah. pretty much had the same conversation with his daughter when he said, yeah, why don't you, why don't, why don't you maybe marry him now rather than never? <laughs> the, the prosthetics on... Patrick Stewart do do not fare well on on review. I mean, he does just look like a puppet <laughs> in uh, in some in some scenes. When there's a bit of distance and everything's a little bit softer, he does just look like a puppet. There's a certain Yoda esque quality. <laughs> they've tried to make him look older, but also it makes him look like they've used quite a bit of Botox <laughs> slash plasticine. I think. With the, the, the scene, the death of his wife, and her final words, asking him to put his shoes away, followed by her kind of looking off into the distance, and then as she closes her eyes, that single tear, that's like, shit, man. Right in the feels. <laughs> that's the point that you know that he's invested in the world. I said, don't, don't do that to me. Do you wear your sunscreen outside? When you get um, Kanan as super old Kanan, and his daughter has wifely hair, and his son is thinning on top. Is that prosthetic thinning, or is he naturally thinning and they had prosthetic hair? Well, he is 
naturally Patrick Stewart's son. <laughs> so he probably, yeah, probably is bald. I think Patrick Stewart went bald at about 20. Also, with this, does he look like himself? I mean, does he look in the mirror and see himself, or is it all a bit quantum leap where he looks in the mirror and sees Canaan? Well, a more philosophical question is, what language is he speaking? Is he still speaking French? (laughs) I like that they just keep cranking up the lighting to represent this. I thought that as well. Impending catastrophe. Dark white. Do you know who Picard looks like at the moment with this prosthetic? No, go for it. The bad guys from Insurrection. <laughs> the ones that have had their plasticine faces stretched repeatedly. Yeah. I did not twig that yesterday when I watched it. It's just a rapid fire blow. Uh, in the fields, in the fields, in the fields, <laughs> in the fields. To so given this is my favourite episode of Star Trek and is regularly voted one of, if not necessarily the best in the franchise. It's not an enormously Star Trek episode of Star Trek. No, I was going to say that. If I was picking one to show someone who hadn't seen Star Trek, I definitely wouldn't pick this because it's not conventionally what the series is about. I mean, the main features of Star Trek are that it is in space and not all in one town. (laughs) It is an ensemble show, not all about Picard. I mean, yes, you get Riker and Crusher briefly, but in a normal episode, they all play a part. That is partly why I say cause and effect is my favourite episode, because even though objectively it is not a good as it is not a good a forty-five minute film as this one is, it is possibly the most Star Trek Star Trek episode. It is a very Star Trek Star Trek episode, but you're right. This is a forty-five minute film. Hmm. Yeah, because you also don't really need to know anything about it other than yeah, he was a, a space captain who presumably had his own life. Yeah, it definitely helps if you have the John Luke narrative beforehand Hmm. to build into the episode. Yeah, it helps, but I don't think it's necessary. I would love to read Picard's after-action report for this. Had a 25-minute nap, lived someone else's life for 40 years. (laughs) Yeah, because it seems like he goes back to work immediately. Whereas, if I have a four-day weekend, I'm not very good at my job on the Tuesday. I reckon Crusher takes him down to sick bay, gives him a once-over, goes, eh, looks all right to me, boss. Mm-hmm. Take the rest Take the rest of the day off. <laughs> Go after Mel Grey. I mean, in the universe where Trill exists, I guess we're already used to people who have had subjective experiences of multi-century lives, but that's going to be fairly rare for humans. Hmm. How long in life could your brain actually store all the uh, all the data for? I do think this episode softens Will's character a little bit. I know he's only in it very briefly, but the way he catches Picard as he goes down on the bridge, and then the way at the end he's bringing him the flute they found in the in the probe. Also, basic question: How much has Picard told Riker at this point? Does Riker know the significance of the flute? Yeah, that's a good question. There's more extras on the bridge in blue than usual. (laughs) And if that's just because we've run into something weird, but it's not actively threatening, as far as we know. Get the nerds up here. Someone push the buzzer for Ravenclaw House and get them up here. (laughs) Don't make me keep you from the call. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's just how Beverly Crusher rolls, man. What, three deep in a posse? Yeah. <laughs> well, what what happened to all the people in the green Star Trek Starfleet uniforms? Are they Agent Agent Section 31? Is that where all the Slytherin ones go? Romulans. <laughs> That's clutching at straws at best. <laughs> oh, I'm clutching at straws in my attempt to draw a direct parallel between two completely unrelated pieces of trivial pop culture. <laughs> Related only by colour. <laughs> So one uses three and one uses four. I think that that last shot of Picard playing the flute, the way it sort of swoops over his shoulder and then backs towards the door as he's playing this the, that, that little ditty and then it cuts to the ship passing and it's just playing into that. It's quite sorrowful. Again, it's another bit that kind of hits you right in the feels. It's sorrowful, and then you get punched in the face by the normal credits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could, could have just had the Picard flute solo over the entirety of the credits for this one. Well, music actually... Obviously, music plays a part in the episodes, but music within the content of the episodes is something that does not happen in Star Trek very often at all. There is an episode of um, DS9 where they have a like Bajoran concert musician. Because, yeah, one of the themes of that was Bajor was this planet of artists who were not well cut out to deal with interstellar war. So they have Bajoran Yishtak Rabin or whoever... No, wait, that's completely wrong. So they have the Bajoran concert pianist who's playing in Deep Space Nine because there's no concert venues on Bajor anymore, I guess. But what he is playing is a reduced version of the Deep Space Nine theme tune. <laughs> ah, is it? I did not notice until someone pointed it out, but that is actually what he's doing. <laughs> so that's a conceit that's been used in some other stuff as well, although I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. I mean, it feels that that's what happens in the cantina in Star Wars, even though it's not, but the... Uh, Play that same song! It's kind of escaped <laughs> into, the, uh, into the consciousness. Is that a Family Guy thing? It is, yeah. It's from Family Guy Blue Harvest. And it's the guys on the stage playing it, and then they start and go, "All right, any requests?" And the guy just says that out the corner of his mouth, and off they go again. I mean, I've seen extremely little of that, though. I have seen the thirty-second clip that is probably not going to be used as the outro for this because it's tonally clashing of them playing "Family Fortunes" or whatever the American version is called, where the survey question is, "What would you like to receive as a gift?" And you know, forty say money, thirty say flowers. One says the flute that Captain Picard plays first in his imagination and then in real life in the Star Trek episode, The Inner Light. <laughs> Show me Picard's flute. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the subject of subtle changes in music, one of my favourite parts of Solo was when he was next to the Imperial Navy recruitment booth and they had the Imperial March, but it was all trumped up and it was really happy. Yes. And it sounded awesome. <laughs> That's just like a, a major minor key. Because I, I wanted the voice just to go, do you want to know more? One of my mates was in the background of that scene as a TIE fighter pilot. Nice. Even he doesn't know which one. <laughs> <laughs> I still have not seen that, so I'm going to have to wait for it to come to Netflix. Which might be quite soon, based on how it did in the box office. I feel that it got a bad rap. I think if people went into it expecting a uh, a heist movie set in space with the Millennium Falcon, 
they would have been uh, they would have got the money's worth because that's what I went in mm-hmm. looking for. Me too. And that's exactly what I got. Talking about this with Joanne over the weekend, do you know what the the real problem was? What? Well, it 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 came out four months after the previous Star Wars film. Yeah, I assumed it would be like this Christmas. If they just stuck to one a year at Christmas, they'd be fine. Give everyone a Christmas present. What are we watching next week? It's a fistful of datas. I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's a fistful of datas. It's it's oh, a okay. holodeck gone haywire episode. We like a good holodeck mishap. I think the big thing, I, I I can't really remember that much of it. It's just Brent Spiner gets to have a lot of fun. <laughs> Brent Spiner seems like, said with the most love in the world, the biggest dork imaginable. Oh, God, yeah. He is such a clown. I mean, I guess it's probably true of most, most actors to some extent, but... Seems particularly true for him. All right, Griffins, here's your chance to win the game. Name something you'd like to receive as a gift. Groceries! Assorted lotion! An Uzi! A dead squirrel! Money! All right, good answer, good answer. Well, Richard, my family seems to think money's the way to go, so I'm going to go with the flute that Captain Picard played, first in his imagination and then in real life, in the episode The Inner Light from Star Trek The Next Generation. What? No, you idiot, we said money! Show me Picard's flute! That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.